Bill, I appreciate your thoughts very much this morning. When I was a junior in college at Abilene Christian, uh, I, along with a lot of the uh, girls and guys that I ran around with, decided we were going to go on the spring break campaign. So we went to the spring break campaign meeting and saw a lot of different destinations. And out of the goodness of our heart, we chose New York City. Uh, and we, it wasn't necessarily that we wanted to seek and save the loss up in the Northeast, but I think it probably, if we're honest, had more to do with there were some tickets to David Letterman and to some sights and sounds in New York and going to Broadway and all that. But when we signed up and our campaign group started meeting, we were informed that we're going to be helping a small church that's being planted on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And they were meeting in a hotel room, and they wanted to expand their church and get the word out that they were in the community. And so when we arrived, they let us know they were holding a gospel meeting slash uh, kind of seminar, and they were inviting all of New York to come to it. And so the idea was each and every morning we would break up into four groups, go to different parts, and we would stand at the top of the stairways that lead down into the subways. And as people are coming and going, we would pass out 5,000 tracks every morning and 5,000 tracks every evening as people are coming and going from work. And so this sounded like a great idea to me. And so as we went and, and did this, I would say that the reaction to us passing out religious tracts was mixed. Uh, I would say about 50% um, either uh, did not want to take the track, uh, totally ignored us, or mentioned something about the sun not shining or something. They didn't want anything to do with what we were doing. They're very hostile towards us. But about 50% seemed cordial and they took our little pamphlets and some even asked uh, where we were from and carry on conversations and so I'm doing the math I'm like okay if we give out 10,000 of these a day and 50% seem open to coming to this wow uh, that's incredible and we're gonna have to get a much bigger banquet hall to host this seminar well, any thoughts of the second coming of Pentecost on the Upper East Side were quickly dashed when the police officer came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, y'all need to go clean up your mess down the subway. And so we walked down the stairway, and it was thousands of these brochures all over the stairs and on the platforms leading to the subways. And so we spent the better part of an hour cleaning them up. And so to say that we were persecuted, that's a stretch. But it kind of burst my bubble a little bit that I knew it wasn't the Bible Belt, but I was like, how could people be so indifferent at best to the cause of Christ, and how could you be outward hostile towards believers? And so it was a, a kind of an awakening for a boy that grew up here in the Dallas area. And so I remember that our campaign leader in preparation for going down there had us read through the book of Hebrews. And he said, you need to re be reminded of the story of Jesus and the importance of it, but also you need to be reminded of you're going to go through hardships and trials, and we were then experiencing them. So as we go through this study, if you remember, the Hebrew writer is writing to a group of perse persecuted Christians that are struggling and are wondering, should we just take a step back? Wouldn't it be easier to go back to Judaism? We'd be off the radar of the government officials. Our families would welcome us in. But he's saying, no, you can't take a step back. Keep moving forward. Continue running the race. Continue your ascent towards the heavenly city of Zion. 
And so he wraps up this letter in, in chapter 13 with some concluding exhortations. You know, whether these readers were experiencing downright persecution or whether they just needed a little plodding along, the book of Hebrews kind of serves as, well, a source of exhortation. It's also encouragement, but it's also kind of kicking in the pants a little bit. Come on, get going, get off center, keep moving forward in your faith walk. So I think all of us need that from time to time, that encouragement, but also that kick sometimes. And because our walk of faith sometimes is difficult. And how do we manage through that? How do we keep going? And so in chapter 11, we see that the Hebrew writer reminds us of the stories that we grew up with in Bible class. And these great men and women of faith who have held on to the end, who have remained faithful. And not because of who they are, but because who God is, what God was able to accomplish in their lives. And then in chapter 12, he's like, okay, you've got these stories, but they also are a cloud or a crowd of witnesses gathering around you as you put on your shoes and start your ascent towards Zion. They're cheering you on. They're there, and they're there to remind you as you go up each switchback. Keep going. Keep going. I know it's difficult. It's difficult for me too, but it's worth it. And so that's what we get at, at chapter uh, 11 and 12, and these examples of those who, who are there beside us, and the one who's in front of us. Well, that's Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the one that makes our salvation possible, but he also brings about, through the work of the Holy Spirit, the completion of our journey. And so that's what we have in chapters 11 and 12. Very powerful. Then in chapter 13, he has some concluding exhortations. And if you're familiar with other letters that are written in the New Testament, sometimes it's just kind of stream of thought. Well, we'll do a little bit of this and this and this. So I've chosen to group these exhortations that the Hebrew writer gives us into three different areas. And that is, well, it's our upward relationship with God, and it's also outward in, but it's also we're going to see inward in nature as well, these faith practices. So I want us to kind of break these down and kind of wrestle with them as we kind of summarize this, this study on the journey of faith. So number one is upward upward practices, embracing our vertical relationship with God. And, and this seems, well, of course we have a relationship with God. We've been singing to Him. But we've got to realize that that vertical relationship and that connection with God, that if we feel distant from God, if we're not spending time with God, if we're not developing our faith in God, then we start losing the fuel to go and to help others and also to spend time with brothers and sisters and encourage them. So this becomes paramount that we remain connected spiritually to our Heavenly Father. So these believers are considering, because of persecuted suffering, ah, can we just take a step back in our faith a little bit? But the Hebrew writers let these strugglers know, no. And, and you also got to understand these persecutions that you're going through and these trials and these hardships, they're by design. God's using them. God's not taken off guard by what's happening in these little house churches in and around Rome. 
In fact, God wants to use them to strengthen your faith and build the resolve of the churches there in and around Rome. And so in, in chapter 12, the author describes persecuted believers as going through a great shaking. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, I, I enjoy watching a show called Gold Rush, but if you've ever been out panning for gold, you know, they, they get up a, a big scoop of this kind of mucky mud stuff, and then they put a lot of water on top of that, and then they take that gold pan, and what do they do? They start shaking it back and forth. And what starts happening is the lighter silt and then the sand start drifting out with the water. What's left behind is the much heavier gold, the things of value. So what the Hebrew writer is saying is, is as we go through this shaking process, we're being refined. And so some things happen as we go through this refining process of persecution. Well, number one, it sifts out lukewarm Christianity. The, the harder it becomes to be a Christian and to remain a Christian because of persecution well, the fringe folks are like, okay, well, I was just kind of there to build some relationships and make some business contacts, but this is just too difficult. I, I'm going to back off. But it also helps those that remain to strengthen their faith. What do I mean by that? Well, when we go through this shaking process, what tends to happen? Well, we start shaking our life and the silt and the sand of our life that we surround ourselves with, we realize it ain't all that important, is it? And so when we get down to what really matters in life, we start seeing the gold for what it's worth. And we start seeing what's really of value. And the longer you go in your life, I know from talking with my grandparents and, and now my, my, my mom and, and other older Christians that have been there for a long time, the more they've gotten rid of more and more sand and silt in their life, and they want to talk about the things that are of utmost importance, relationship with God, what we have in Jesus Christ, our Savior, with the power of tuning in to the Holy Spirit to guide our lives, Right? And then also the importance of the church and being with other like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ that provide us encouragement. And I really feel painful for those of you at home that haven't been able to be with us, but know we're with you. And you're still part of this and very important part of this community of believers. We love you very much. So we, we realize these are the gold nuggets. These are the things of utmost importance. And so we see that the Hebrew writer, uh, instead of having sand and silt and gold, talks about shaken things and unshakable truths of faith. And so it becomes a blessing to go through the clarifying process of persecution and hardships. He says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28, Therefore, now that we've kind of gone through this, since we're receiving an unshakable kingdom that cannot be destroyed, that cannot be knocked down, that cannot be pushed aside, let us be filled with gratitude that we've now figured out what these gold nuggets, the things that are of utmost importance in our life, we have discovered that pearl of great price. We have figured out what's of utmost importance, and we say, 
We want that. We've discovered that treasure in the field. We say, God, now I get it. And I want to go all in on that. Now that we understand that, let us be filled with gratitude and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. So God, if he's not already there, moves up to number one when we're going through these times of trial and hardships. So he says, we need to embrace this time as a refinement that's happening in our faith journey and say, praise the Lord, we're going through this because we can peel back all this stuff that really doesn't matter in our lives and embrace these gold nuggets and talk about and think about what's of utmost importance. Well, the writer pulls together two pretty cool passages, one from Deuteronomy chapter 31 and other from Psalms 118. And he says, I want to remind you of what you have in your heavenly Father. And so he tells them in Hebrews 13 and verse 5 and 6, be content with what you have because God has said, listen to this church, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So if we feel hardship, we feel struggles, we feel persecution, we feel like that we're walking on eggshells out in our community or out at work or in different relationships, we need to realize we have a Heavenly Father that says, I'm with you every step of the way. I'm not going to desert you. And why do you feel fear mere mortals when you've got the God of all the universe right there with you? Boy, that's good news. It says, the Lord is my helper. The God of the universe is right with you. Why should you fear mere, mere mortals? So we've united ourselves with God and his own son, Jesus, that died on our behalf. Hebrews 13, verse 18 Jesus Christ didn't go anywhere either. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow and tomorrow after that and forever. That's the Jesus that we've aligned our life with, Lord. Oh, we're just like, Lord, thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus. That's what we have. And so our upward relationship with God, we need to sit at the foot of the cross and be reminded of what we have that our Heavenly Father has provided out of His great love and acceptance for us. That's what we have. Number two, we should have outward practices in our faith walk. So outwardly, we pursue our horizontal outreach to others. That's our mission. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 through 3 says this, Well, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters, but don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have even shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. So what better way for us to deal with hardships, struggles, and adversity Instead of looking inward and say, woe is me, God, why are you allowing? If we start looking outwards and say, especially, these are some folks I should be focused on instead of sitting at home, focused on me and what I don't have or the pain I'm going through. Look outward. And so he brings up three different groups of people that we should be thinking about 
and reaching out to. So the first is strangers. You're like, okay, from a very young age, we teach our kids stranger danger. How do we reconcile this? Well, the word hospitality in Greek is actually a phrase which means love of strangers. How can we love people we don't know? You know, commercial lodging was kind of a a few and far between thing. There were inns, but they were expensive, and sometimes they had some back rooms if you understand what's going on. And so for Christians traveling, they had to rely upon other brothers and sisters to open up their homes and hospitality, people they didn't know. But because it was Christians versus the world at this point in human history, They had to welcome in strangers and treat them as brothers and sisters in Christ and help where they could. And the writer says, hey, you need to know this hospitality brings unexpected rewards. He says, who knows? The person you open the door to and welcome into your home may be an angel. Well, immediately these Hebrews that have spent a lot of time in Scripture, their mind starts clicking and they're like, oh, yeah. Genesis chapter 18, Abraham and Sarah invited the three people. Turns out they were what? Angels. Angels from God on a mission. One chapter later in chapter 19, Lot has some angels come and knock on his door and he has to defend their rights. We also see in the book of Judges with Gideon and later with Samson's parents, they welcomed in and were very open people of peace as Wilmer calls them. People of peace that are open to what God is up to, open their homes, and God says, I want to use you for my benefit. You've been called according to this purpose. And so these are the things. So we need to realize that there's a connection between our upper relationship with God and strangers. When our children were younger, I got a strange call about 6 o'clock one night from a lady who informed me that she was on a cross-country journey from Arizona with her husband to go to Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. And she had gotten my cell number from an unnamed friend who still has not come forward and said, I gave this lady your number. But he said that, um, that, Brad, that you would provide us lodging, you provide us food, and you'd fill up our van with gas. And we'll be at the truck stop about 8 o'clock. Okay. And so we had to have a little family powwow, and so Jill and the kids, they all got around, and I'm like, listen, we have an opportunity here. Uh, Jill, not so much thinking it was an opportunity to have a complete stranger, but, you know, we kind of came around and said, what a teaching moment. God may be sending us angels into our home tonight. And Jill's like, I'm going to be locked and loaded. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, so we headed out to the truck stop to meet this family. And we were thinking, God's sending us angels. And, well, she let us know that she appreciated us bringing them into their home, but her husband tends to sleepwalk and he doesn't wear pajamas. So we're, we decided to put the angels up at a hotel, and so we let the angels be over there. But there's a connection between, are you going to allow God to use you in situations with complete strangers? Or are you always going to be in fear as to what's going on around us? So they're encouraged, reach out and help strangers. The next is prisoners. 
And I think of our beloved brother, Bill Bowman, and so many others that have spent years and lifetime doing prison ministry, especially with our jail just down the street, and how it warms the heart of those that have seen that ministry on the front lines. But there may also be a component here about what's going on with the brothers and sisters in that congregation. Folks, this faith had been so bold that the magistrates and the people around them are saying, they're too dangerous to have on the street. Let's arrest them. Let them be a lesson to everyone else. This is what happens if you carry on the, the conversation and the cause of Christ. He said, don't forget those brothers and sisters that are behind bars. Instead, let them be part of your cloud and your crowd of witnesses. Let their testimony speak into and give you courage for you to be bold as well. Don't forget those that are imprisoned. Finally, those that are mistreated and suffering. Remember them as if you were suffering. And so we kind of... We're like, okay, this is where I am in my life, but I see someone over here and what they're going through. Can we open up our heart enough to have empathy and compassion, not only to feel bad for them, but to say, I want to step into that suffering with you. I love the story of a New Jersey plumber, Andrew Mitchell, who heard a call from fellow plumbers in Texas that they needed help. They said that we will be working for months here in Texas to get all of the broken pipes that were damaged in the storm over the past couple of weeks back online and give people the water that they need. Governor Greg Abbott says we're going to suspend our Texas licensing if there are licensed plumbers from other states to come in to help us out. And Andrew said, I felt like it was the hand of God being put on me and a calling that was given to me that it's not just to any plumber across. It is for me to load up my family and go to Texas. And so that's what Andrew Mitchell did. He got his wife and his son and his brother-in-law, who was serving as an apprentice, and said, we're leaving. When? Tonight. And so they loaded up their truck with a couple thousand dollars worth of tools and supplies. They hopped in the truck, and they headed to Houston. 22 hours later, they arrived. Their days, each and every day, starts at 7 a.m., and he said he usually is done about 2 a.m. He tries to help 10 families a day. And he says, I feel like that God is using me to make a difference. Church, each of us needs to have that same thing, not just to feel bad when we see something on the news, but to say, how can we help? How can we make a difference? I really appreciate all of our guys are involved in disaster relief that carve out vacation time, and they've talked with their bosses that when the storm comes, we're first responders. We're hopping in our cars and trucks, and we're going. We're going to spend time because God's put in our heart not just to recognize and feel bad for those that are suffering, but to go and do something about it. So I encourage us, boy, we help strangers and prisoners, but we also help those that are suffering. Man, so we have an upward response, an outward response. And we also have faith practices that are inward. Relying upon our relationships with each other. You know, sometimes uh, an inward focus gets a bad rap. 
and people talk about, well, we just kind of got going in a way that we were just too inward focused. You're going to realize there is a purpose for having an inward focus. And we've already talked about a relationship vertically with God and outreach to those. But church, we can't neglect the importance of the body. We can't neglect the importance of getting together, either virtually or together in person. We can't neglect the study and the prayer time and the counsel that we receive from one another. That is how we remain strong. It's when Satan allows us to be pulled away from the herd and to get off by ourselves and get isolated that he does a number on us. There is strength in number. And church, there's times for us to circle the wagons and say, we're going to be doing this, and we're going to fight these battles, and we're going to struggle along together. Hebrews 13 verse 1 says, keep on loving one another, brothers and sisters. Come on, treat each other as family. Love each other as family. Value these relationships we have in, in this family of believers here at the high point. So as times get tough, we do this. And it's not that we're withdrawing from the world, but we're coming back, we're refreshing, and we're recharging so we can go back out. And we're reminded of the blessings we have with our Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Spirit working in our life. So there is power and necessity in the Christian community, especially during times of adversity, church. How do we support the local church? How do we do this? Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 through 25 says, Let's consider how may we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some in the habit are doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And here in chapter 13, the, the writer says, I'm going to give you some tangible things that will strengthen the body of believers that you need during this time. One is a financial component. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, well, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Why do we not get off on this tangent about money and what it can buy? So we have resources too. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, do good and share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So we take care of one another. So grateful for Brother Jim Barr and his team of people that sit down with fellow members, people in the community to see what we can do to help them in times of need. And if you're struggling financially, don't struggle alone. Come talk with me. Come talk with one of your shepherds. Let us see what we can do as a family to take care of other family members. Amen? And we need other people to tap sh shepherds on the shoulder and say, when you get one of those calls, you call me next. I want to meet the need of a fellow brother and sister that is unemployed, that is struggling. Do not struggle alone. Do not allow yourself to be isolated. Boy, let's reach out and care for one another. Finally, to strengthen our church family, we need to follow and support our leaders, is what the Hebrew writer says. And, and I just have to tell you, I've been in church work for a long time, and outside of chaperoning middle school lock-ins, there is no tougher job at church than being a shepherd. There isn't. And what are we, you and I, doing to support the shepherds here at High Point? Here's the deal about being a shepherd. They can burn out quicker than any other position I know. 
and each one of us as individuals and collectively as a church, we can be the wind beneath their wings or we can suck the very life out of our shepherds. And it happens over and over. I want it to be our choice that we want to support the men that we put up to lead this congregation. Amen? How do we do that? Hebrew writer says, remember your leaders and imitate their faith. You know, when we put forth men as shepherds, we do so because we admire their faith walk. We admire their disposition. We admire their commitment to not only their Heavenly Father, but to this local body of believers. But then sometimes we bring in these spiritual people and we don't tap into their spiritual insights and, and have spiritual conversations about discipleship. Instead, we move them off into other rooms and have them weigh in on, on things that really are non-spiritual matters in the church. And, and that is what takes the starch out of the sails. Well, bring them in and help them uh, help you grow spiritually to pray over matters in your life and say, I want to take you to lunch because I just want to tell you about what's going on in my family. That is what feeds every spiritual leader is when they know they're making spiritual differences, when they are serving to bring clarity and to be a voice for God in our matters. Instead, we sometimes in, in our culture is like, well, we don't want to admit anything's going wrong in our family. And so in our times, the most crisis, we clam up and we just bear down. No, that's the time we open up to our shepherds and say, I need you, brother, to help me spiritually in this matter. That's how we do that. And that's what encourages them when they feel like they're making a spiritual difference in the life of the church here at High Point. Number two, the Hebrew writer encourages us to follow our leaders. I have to tell you that this is hard because being a member of a church has changed since I grew up. Uh, when we would come to town or families would come to town, they'd do a lot of research as to what's going on in that church. And they'd, am I aligned with this family and their beliefs and everything? And then you place your membership and then you're there for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. How many of you grew up in a church like that? Yeah. Now it appears that sometimes uh, being a member of a church doesn't mean as much. I can kind of have one foot in, one foot out. And as long as the church is meeting my needs and I'm, I'm going along, and, and as long as I agree with every decision of our shepherds, I'll remain. But if we're going and doing something different, well, there's another church down the road. And so I can just pull up stakes and our family will hop in the car and we'll go on over here. Until a leader there makes a decision you don't like, well, then we'll go over here. And then we circle back and we kind of do this roundabout thing. And I want to encourage you, it brings about spiritual maturity when we stay under a group of leaders that we know that God has put on their heart to lead us and the Spirit has chosen them to be a part and say, I'm going to remain under the leadership of these spiritual men that I believe are leaving this congregation. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 says this, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as though who must give an account for you and your family and what's going on. So we maintain a relationship with our shepherds and we're connected with them because they have to give an account on your behalf. Do this so that the work will not will be a joy, not a burden. 
for that would be of no benefit for you. Yes, it's, it's good to hold people accountable, absolutely. But if we're unwilling to follow, then we burden our leaders, which is no benefit to us. And finally, the Hebrew writer encourages us to pray for our leaders. Remember their service, follow their example, trust them, but lift them up in prayer. When I get notes or uh, emails from various members of the congregation that say, we've been praying for you this week, I tell you, whatever's going on in my life, I got to spring in my step, knowing that there's prayer cover as I come in and present lessons every week. And I tell you, our shepherds are the same way. Pray for the leaders of this congregation as we are navigating very difficult times to be a church. I want to give you a follow-up on my story of the spring break campaign. We got a letter several weeks later, right before finals, from the preacher at that congregation. I have to say our team was a little bit discouraged after our, uh, well, kind of lukewarm response from the folks in New York City. But he let us know that the campaign was a success. He said 17 people either gave their life to Jesus or joined their efforts of that little band of brothers and sisters on the Upper East Side. So it reminded us that there's power in the story of Jesus. It reminds us that God is in control. And it reminds us that our little efforts, whatever they may be, God can multiply that. Where are you on your journey of faith? It's our last opportunity to respond to this message of the book of Hebrews. If you're struggling, come forward. Let us lift up your struggles to our Heavenly Father, but also so brothers and sisters can share in those struggles. If you want to begin your relationship with Jesus, we'll move all this stuff. The baptistry's back there. Begin your formal journey with Jesus Christ today as we stand and as we sing.